And as Jason mentioned, we want this to change us, right? We, we want to come to church. We come to church because we want to be changed. We don't want to be the same as when we came in. We want the message, the Word of God, to change our lives. And so I pray that that's what happens today. Um, as a church, we've been working through Colossians 1. In the last few weeks, it's been awesome to discuss in our community groups and with friends just how the, that text works in, into our lives. And so we've been looking at the supremacy of Christ and how he is enough for the church, how he's enough for you and me, he's enough as believers. And last week, Jason highlighted how Jesus is enough for the maturing of his church. Now, he mentioned that we needed to be a gospel-filled church, a glory-filled church, and a discipleship-filled church. And I recommend, if you guys haven't heard that message, to go online and find it. You can find it on our our YouTube page or on sunrise.ky. Listen to that message because it was really impactful in my life. Um, But as we were sort of discussing that question in in community group, and as I was also digesting it in my mind, was, okay, how how do we apply this to my life? Um, I felt like I I needed to understand this one part of what discipleship should look like for us as a church. Let me remind you guys just what we read last week. I'm just going to read a short portion from Colossians 1, 28 through 29. I think it'll be behind me, Um, but if not, you can use one of the the Bibles in the chair pockets as well. But it says this, I'm just reading from verse 28. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So we should be discipling others and looking to see how you can help others, but also getting help yourself. The body takes care of the body. The church should be taking care of the church. And Paul describes having a responsibility to the church by preaching the entire gospel, by proclaiming its entire message to you. But what does that mean for for you and I? What does that mean for us today? How do we disciple others? Um, That's what I want to look at in more detail today. And how do we go about warning and teaching what is true, extending grace and love? And how do we call those that are in darkness out into the marvelous light? And how do we reconcile those that have fallen away, bringing them back in to a good standing with their loving creator? Let's let's dive into that today. But to, to... To get into that, I first want to tell you a story, and I hope it serves as a good visual example as to where we're going. And for that, I'm I'm going to need this rope over here. Um, So when I see this rope, it it brings up a bunch of memories, and some of those memories are of my late teenage years. Now, when I was a teenager, I was really into extreme sports. I was really into kayaking and rock climbing and backpacking and all those things. And so the, the last part of my teenage years from when I was about 16 to 20, I worked all my summers at a youth camp in North Carolina. And in this youth camp, uh, we taught kids how to kayak. We taught them camping, things like that. And I was just, I was always in the water. I loved the river so much. I got a part-time job, apart from that, guiding rafts down the Nantahala River. 
And any day that I wasn't working or guiding rafts, I was in my kayak myself. I was just always in the water. I loved the water. Now, part of my job description working in the camp was that I needed to teach kids that from ages 10 to 15 how to kayak. That, that would involve maneuvering their boat in the river. That would involve teaching them how to roll their kayak right side up in case they were flipped. And it also involved rescuing them if they flipped over, they couldn't right themselves up, and I had to, to help them out there as well. Now, to be honest, I was not the best boater or the kayaker. I, I had a few years of experience under my belt, and I was trained in swift water rescue. I knew how to read a river, and I knew how to identify dangerous situations, how to coach novice kayakers down challenging rivers. And so we'd start them out in a pool, and we'd teach them, you know, all the different parts of the kayak and the paddle, and, and we'd get them situated in their kayak and with their neoprene skirt on there so no water gets in the boat, and then when they're set, we just flip them over. And they, we had to do that, though, because they had to feel the uncomfortableness of being upside down, underwater, and don't worry, we always flip them right back up after that. Um, we didn't kill anybody. But the goal was to get them from being comfortable in the boat to being comfortable in the river, getting them down a class one river, then a class two river. And eventually, hopefully, by the end of the week, we'd get them to the Nantahala River. Now... For those that have never been to the Nantahala River, let me just describe it briefly. It's a class two river, mostly, that has icy cold water. Now, it's the river actually is 45 degrees for Americans out here and seven degrees for the rest of the world. That's, that's how cold it is. It's like enjoying a nice slushy on a hot summer day and just somebody coming and throwing it in your face. It, it immediately gave you like a brain freeze anytime you got that on your head. And so it could cause you to lose focus. It could cause you to, to I don't know, uh, blank out. And it, it could cause you to swim out of your kayak if you weren't ready for it. Now, the final rapid of the run was called Lesser Wesser. And I think I got a picture of it behind me. That was the graduation ceremony for the kids. If they could successfully get down this rapid, they were no longer considered beginners, kayakers. They were now intermediate kayakers, and they could move on to the next class that we offered. Now, before they ran the rapid, there was something that always happened, okay? We would, we would park our kayaks a little bit up, upriver of the rapid, and we'd get them out, and we'd walk them around to show them the, the rapid, Okay? We also had to inform them that it was paramount if they were to get into trouble in this rapid and they had to swim out of their kayak that they needed to look for help. They needed to look for me, who would be down low, with this rope. If they were going to come through the rapid, flip over, not write themselves up, they had to look for the rope. Now, we had to warn them of that. And they couldn't, we had to let them know that they could not be allowed to be carried downstream. Why? Well, about 500 meters downstream was another rapid called Worser Wesser. So there was Lesser Wesser, this is Worser Wesser. Now, Worser Wesser was a class five dangerous rapid. And it was ranked that way not because it was technically difficult, but it had consequences for the boater that would go through it incorrectly. It contained very, very sharp rocks. 
They were unnaturally sharp because they were being blasted out of the side of a mountain to make way for a railroad. There were rebar, there were just ugly things in this rapid, and it had quick drops and water features called holes where boats and gear and sometimes people went in and it was very difficult to get them out. Um, so we had to tell the kids not to freak them out, but they needed to understand the importance of their reaction if they were unsuccessful in their attempt of lesser wesser. They needed to clear their mind and say, okay, I need to look for the rope. So the current there was quite quick and the probability of failure was quite high. So we always were ready at the bottom and we always set up anchor as well. Now, to set up an anchor, um, I'm just going to use this over here, you'd find something that was immovable, something that we could rely on. Oh, gosh, don't knock that over. That's not an anchor. Um, so we had to hook up to an anchor, something that was strong, because back in that day, I weighed about 150 pounds. I was a little scrawny kid. And if I threw a rope to somebody and they were weighing about 150 pounds plus all the current of the river, there was no way that I would be able to save them. But if I was hooked to an anchor, it didn't matter how heavy you were, it didn't matter how strong the river was, you were going to be safely pulled into shore, just like a pendulum. So imagine there's a drowning kayaker right there. I would look at them, they would, I'd make sure they look at me, and I would yell out, rope, and I would throw it. There you go. Hey, John Dre, you're, you're right in your perfect spot. All right, so let's pretend you're the drowning kayaker. I would wrap this around here so I got a good, I'd say, rope. Oh, sorry, that was a little strong. Okay, Jenna, thank you, Jenna. All right, so, all right, you can, you can just set that down, guys. I'm sorry. Um, I would throw it. I would yell rope as loud as I could so they would hear that it was coming, and their job was to grab the rope. My job was to throw the rope. I wasn't strong enough to pull them in, but if they grabbed hold of the rope, eventually they would swing to the shore. We'd check on them. We'd get them warm because they were frozen popsicles by then. We would give them um, a hot drink. That's where I learned the goodness of hot jello water. I don't know if you guys have ever tried that, but it's incredible. Um, We'd make sure they're okay, and then we'd, we'd chat with them. We'd be like, listen, this is probably where you went wrong. You know, you lean back instead of leaning forward. You lean to the left when you should have leaned to the right. You forgot what we taught you in the pool. You want to try it again? <laughs> and a lot of times we would have them do it again, and a lot of times we would just collect their gear and have them finish out the 100-meter paddle to the place where the, boat, where the, the van was. So... Maybe you see where I'm going with all of this. See, my 16-year-old self understood that I had a job to do at summer camp when we were running that last rapid. First, I had to inform those that I was teaching about the danger that waited for them around the last bend. So they understood the importance of the reaction if they were to swim. Obviously, my job didn't end right there. (laughs) I needed to extend the lifeline. It needed to be a strong and direct throw. Occasionally, If they missed the rope, or maybe my technique was wrong the first time, I had to get ready quickly to toss it again. And then I needed to be the encourager. Get back in the boat. Don't give up. Don't let your failure keep you from finishing the river. I'll go with you. I think this has a lot to do 
with what I was describing earlier about what discipleship should look like. We're going to get into God's word now, and we're going to be examining a passage in 2 Corinthians. Now, Paul is writing this church, and they were, con- they were quite notorious for all the trouble that they were causing. If we were following the kayak analogy, they were constantly swimming. <laughs> the city itself was a very cosmopolitan city, and the church had a lot of races and religious beliefs in that church, and a lot of morality issues came up, and Paul wrote them in the first letter to the Corinthians to sternly correct them. And in 2 Corinthians, we see the results of that correction and his encouragement in reconciling with those who have repented. So let's examine a portion found in the the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians. That's going to be our main passage today. So it's found in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. It says this in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What we are known is to God. What we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God, and if we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we were once regarded, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God made his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this passage gives insight into how Paul encouraged the Corinthian church and their discipleship. And I think we can apply it here at sunrise as well. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to be looking at uh, three duties that we have as Christians in our discipleship to others. We're to persuade others to open their eyes. We're to be controlled by the love of Christ. We are to reconcile others to God. So first point, we're to persuade others to open their eyes. Now, we should probably ask ourselves, what are we opening their eyes to? <laughs> Let's look at the verse that preceded the text that I just read. This is in 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11a, just the first part of 11. And it says this, this is what we are opening eyes to. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 
Now, we are called to persuade others because we know what is coming. We're called to persuade others because we know what is around the bend. We are called to persuade others because we know what the fate is for all. Now, Matthew Henry, he's he's an incredible theologian that writes very simple commentaries that I love. Um, He says this about that verse. Um, Matthew Henry says this, The apostle quickens himself and others to acts of duty. Well-grounded hopes of heaven will not encourage sloth and sinful security. Let all consider the judgment to come, which is called the terror of the Lord, knowing what terrible vengeance the Lord would execute upon the workers of iniquity. The apostle and his brethren used every argument and persuasion to lead men to believe in the Lord Jesus and to act as his disciples. Their zeal and diligence were for the glory of God and the good of the church. Now, Paul was willing to go through shipwreck, snakebite, imprisonment, torture, beatings, another shipwreck, ridicule, another torturing, all of that to bring us the gospel. Why? Because his eyes were opened, quite literally. His eyes were opened, and he saw, and he knew that others needed this message. And please hear me here, that this this is God's word that we're trying to get out. It's not my opinion, it's not Jason's opinion, that hell is a real place. And I think we shy away from the topic of hell because it's such an uncomfortable thought. I mean, eternal torment, eternal separation from God, nobody likes to think about it nor talk about it. But did you know that Jesus was recorded talking more about hell than anybody else in the Bible? I found um, Leslie Schmucker from the Gospel Coalition. She sort of summarized it well when she says this about Jesus' mentionings of hell. Jesus doesn't only reference hell. He describes it in great detail. He says it is a place of eternal torment, of unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, and from which there is no return even to warn loved ones. He calls hell a place of outer darkness, comparing it to Gehenna, which was a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven, and he describes it more vividly. There's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. Now, Jesus, he didn't shy away from it because he knew the truth. And if anybody was qualified to speak about it, it was him. He was moved to speak so much about it, not because he hated us, but because he loves us. You, you know this if you've been in church, that Jesus loves us. And he wanted to warn us of what would come to all of those who didn't follow him. He was the only one that could pay the price to save our souls from such a terribly, terrible place. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now, I found it um, quite powerful what Penton Gillette said one time. Now, those that, you might know him from his, um, he has a TV show, I think it's called like Full Pen and Teller or something like that. Um, but he, he's usually a very loud voice for atheists, and 
he has a famous show on TV for, for magicians, and he said the following about being approached by a man who wanted to gift him a Bible. He said this, and he said, you believe there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this, because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize or evangelize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and to not tell them that? Gillette then offered this example to illustrate his point. If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I tackle you and this is more important than that. And this is from an atheist. <laughs> this is him just simply calling out what he sees happening in the Christian world. Notice that the impending doom of that poor person causes an action from somebody who is not in harm's way and causes them to get involved. It is much safer to stay on the side of the street, <laughs> but can we really just sit back and do nothing? at all. Now, here's where we actually need a lot of guidance from God's word, a lot of grace and a lot of scripture, because it is easy to offend and it's easy to simply not speak out because we don't want to offend anybody. I remember uh, walking down the streets of Greenville, South Carolina, that's where I went to college, and we would go there at night. Um, there was lots of things to do around the downtown area. There were lots of coffee shops, a lot of live music. There were parks that you could walk through. Really pretty place. But every Friday night, there was a group of people that would stand outside of a certain bar. And they would be holding large banners and signs with derogatory, offensive language targeted at people living certain lifestyles. And I remember just being enraged by, by seeing them use God's word as a license to condemn everybody to hell, yet not once did I hear them or see them offer the gospel to anybody. They talked about the coming judgment, but never once cast out a line of salvation. They grasped the warning and admonishing part of God's word, but they left out the power to be forgiven. They left out the power to actually have change in our lives. It's like a doctor telling somebody that, I'm sorry, you have an, a disease that's gonna end in a very, very painful death. I'm sorry. And it's like that doctor saying that, but not actually telling them that that disease was cured 2,000 years ago and all they needed was the antidote, which was available today. <laughs> You know, people do need to be warned. They need to know the reality of what sin does in our lives. They need to know that there is hell and it's a reality for those who do not know Christ. All will stand before the throne, believer and unbeliever. There is a judgment and for those who know Christ as Lord and Savior, their salvation is firmly set on what Christ did for us on the cross. Our deeds that we commit now are not the basis of our salvation, but they are evidence of our salvation. They're not the foundation, but they are a demonstration that we actually know him and have received new life. 
It would be wise for us to examine your life, to examine each, each life, your own life, to see what fruit are you actually producing. And church, that's precisely why we need people around us to help us in our accountability, to help us, to encourage us when we mess up, to not give up, to get out of the river. (laughs) You're getting swept too far downstream. We need people around us. So how do we reach out to somebody who we see is getting swept away in sin? We do it controlled by Christ's love. So point number two, we're to be controlled by the love of Christ. And in verse 14, It says this, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for the sake, for their sake, died and was raised. If you know the love of Christ firsthand, you also must know that it empowers and redirects our life for purposes greater than our own Life becomes less about you. It's for him, for who for my sake died and was raised. It's, it's not about me keeping track of my offenses. It's not about me keeping track of, of who hurt me or who failed me or any of that. It's not about me being pushed up because I'm stepping on other people and getting to a higher position or getting better than that person over there. We should be moved out of love And Christ's love in me redirects my life to impact others. Now, Matthew Henry, again, he he continued on with his summary of of this this passage. And he says this, and I want to look at it. It says, their zeal and diligence were for the glory of God and for the good of the church. Christ's love to us will have a like effect upon us. If duly considered and rightly judged, all were lost and undone, dead and ruined, Slaves to sin, having no power to deliver themselves, and must have remained thus miserable forever if Christ had not died. We should not make ourselves, but Christ, the end of our living and actions. A Christian's life should be devoted to Christ. Alas, how many show the worthlessness of their professed faith and love by living to themselves and to the world? Our end and our goal and our desires should be devoted to Christ. We remain ineffective in reaching out to the lost and troubled, sometimes because we're so much more focused on our feelings and our righteousness and not on the righteousness of Christ who surrendered his life for us. We need to remember that we did not earn this ourselves. But Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us, and now Christ empowers us and moves us to take the message to other people. I remember learning the hard way several times, like I mentioned earlier, that my 150-pound teenage frame was no match for another 150-pound body plus the raging current of the river. I I got quite well at tossing the rope and getting it to the person But what I had to learn was that I had to rely not on my strength, but on the anchor. I had to be anchored to be able to help anybody. It was never about me. It was about getting that person to shore 
by connecting them to something stronger than me, more reliable, more resilient, unshakable. I was unable to save anybody, but I could connect them with the one that could save them. The warning is given in love. The rope is thrown in love. It has to do with love. So let's look at what John tells us about love in 1 John chapter 4. It says this in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Wouldn't it be beautiful to see God's love perfected in our church? (laughs) You know, we're never going to be perfect this side of eternity, but we work towards it. We're not... We're not letting ourselves or loved ones drift away because we're too fearful of another rejection or another pushback, another disappointment. God's love in us causes us to act and it causes us to warn and it causes us to reach out. I mean, just think about how Jesus did it. (laughs) That is love, right? (laughs) He came to this world. He warned us. (laughs) about hell. He warned us about what it would be for those that that did not follow him, those that did not bear fruit, those that were outside. But he didn't just warn us. He made a way for us to, to be saved. He made a way for us to have salvation. He warned us, but then he reached out to us as well. And we warn and we reach out because we want to see reconciliation. That's why Jesus came, to reconcile us to our creator. That's what we can do as well. We have this gift, this, this now. So let's, let's look at our final point. We are to reconcile others to God. It says this in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we were, once, we were once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to give himself, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, each person that has been reconciled with God now has a task. We are to implore others to be reconciled with their creator. You know, whenever you get on an airplane and every time you get on there, they go through the same speech about if you're to, if there is to be a sudden loss of cabin pressure, that there would be these masks that would come down from the ceiling. But they always tell you the same thing. Before helping somebody else with their mask, first connect your mask. We must first be reconciled to our Father before we can reconcile anybody else. And a healthy church is a church that reconciles others to the Lord. We don't just stand on the sidelines of the river as we watch the people just rush by in their sin. I remember, it makes me think of this time, um, there's a couple times during the year where the the river, the Nantahala River, it's it's actually controlled by a dam release. So sometimes they they triple the volume of the river just because they need to release a lot of water from the lake that's, or the reservoir that's upstream. And so every now and then they'll, they'll announce these huge releases of water and the class two river becomes a class four river and plus. So a lot of kayakers and rafters will, it becomes more fun whenever it's bigger water. But and a lot of people will gather around the falls area just to watch because there's always carnage. There's always people that are just flipping and swimming, and so many people are there just watching in amazement, seeing these people and how they just mess up and how they continue to to fail, and they're just sitting there with their hot cups of coffee, sipping and watching them go by. There's a few people on the shore that have their ropes and they're practicing, or I don't know, they have a lot of fun just fishing people out of the river, but they're there doing that. But the majority just sit back and they watch. And that might seem entertaining, (laughs) but could we think about the people in our life that do not know the Lord? And have we done everything in our our ability (laughs) to warn, to reach out, to show Christ's love to that person? And maybe you're tired of throwing lines to that same person, the same person that keeps on doing the same thing. <laughs> and maybe your warnings are bouncing off a calloused heart and, and perhaps they're just sitting there and they don't want to grab hold of the line. <laughs> but maybe it's because we're trying to do it all under our own strength as well. Remember what it says in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's not about us here. We're doing this on behalf of Christ. We're doing it in Christ's strength, in Christ's sacrifice. We're simply the ones tossing a rope, consistently just sending it to that person. You know what implore means? So you can use it as to beg earnestly, to plead in prayer. Have we been praying about those people in our life that we see are heading towards destruction? We see that are, that are con- constantly making the wrong choice. We need to be a praying, fasting, God-reliant people. We reconcile others because 
Only God is capable of doing incredible things for his glory with men and women who walk with him. Not only are we, do we get to participate in that, and we get to play a part of God's redemptive story for that person. We're ambassadors. Our, our power and our strength isn't ours. It's in God. It's in Christ. But we do hold a rope in our hand. The same one that pulled us out of that river. The same one that somebody extended to us. We now have a responsibility. You know, sometimes we stray. You have and I have and we all will stray. And that's why we need each other, church. That's why we need to be a community. That's why we need to be a family that will disciple each other, that will help each other. We should never do this alone. You know, I... I became quite talented in in my kayaking, but I never once allowed myself to go down a river by myself. Even if it was the simplest, smallest river, you just didn't do it because I could get in trouble. Who knows what could happen? And I would have nobody there to help me. Don't do life alone. Get plugged into a community group or find some guys or some ladies that you can study a book of the Bible with that you can pray with. God designed you to speak into your circle of influence as well. I mean, we're all placed uniquely in this world. You're placed in a certain area that Jason or I or any other leader in this church could not reach. But you are there, and you have a rope, and you can reach that person. I know it's incredibly uncomfortable, I, I myself am, am the first one to admit that I, I have struggled with having the courage to reach out to somebody. But remember this, that Jesus called us. And he, remember how he called his disciples, or those fishermen? He said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He will do everything that's needed. But you have to allow him. You have to follow him. You have to let him move you. Let him place you and let him use you, church. And perhaps you are the one in the river. Perhaps you are the one that needs to be reconciled with God. Perhaps you feel like you've drifted a long way, that you had a failure or a misstep and you don't feel like you're quite out of the river yet. You just keep on getting pushed further downstream and farther and farther and farther away from solid ground. I just, I'm glad that you're here if you're one of those people. And I want you to see just how much God loves you. That he takes no joy in condemning a person to hell. And you may not agree with God's word, but if you knew his love for you, you would trust that he knows what's best for you. We do not know what will happen tomorrow. I don't know what will happen when I leave this place. (laughs) So why would we trust in our own judgment when we can trust in God's? We We were meant to be in this place, not not just to 
get through, not just to make money, provide for a family, and then die. But God has saved you for a reason. He has saved you from that eternal torment, that painful eternity. And he has brought you out so now we can help others as well. Let's pray. Father, as, as I'm reading your word and reminded just even what's in my manuscript here, God, I'm, I'm confronted just by the way that sometimes I am fearful and too scared to reach out to others. And it can be easier sometimes to stand up on a stage and, and speak this message than to actually go and have a cup of coffee with somebody and confront them on something, Lord. I pray that you would give me and everybody here strength. I pray that you would give us strength and assurance that you are able to save, that you are able to do wonderful things with people that, that might not know you yet, but Lord, that you have a plan for them. So God, I pray that you would use us, that you just wouldn't let us sit back idle as we're watching friends and family members and coworkers and, and people that we don't even know just be pulled to hell. God, I pray that you would light a fire in each one of us, that, that we would open our own eyes to see what is happening in the world and, and what the reality is for those people that do not know you, God. I pray that you would show us just how to embrace these people in love with a warning, but also your, your plan for salvation, your gospel. Lord, don't let us just, just forget one or the other, Lord, because they need to know what is true, but they need to know that you are a God of love and that you are able to reconcile us if we grab hold of you. So Lord, help us. Help us, whether we're the ones throwing the rope or we're the ones catching the rope or, or maybe we've just been on the sidelines for a long time and too afraid to get involved, Lord. I pray that you would move us today, that we would not be the same as when we came in this place right now. Now I pray that you would lead us in worship. I pray that you would help us to, to see that you are so good to us, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen us and be everything we need. In your name we pray, amen.